0: The war against terror has reminded us about the cost of freedom. Ultimate treasures like liberty, freedom of speech, and freedom of worship demand ultimate sacrifices. But has the biblical church remembered that this can be the cost of devotion to Jesus Christ? This is Truth Encounter, a program committed to challenging you to intimacy with a biblical Christ. Today, our study leader, Dave Wurtzen, takes us to the beginning of the Great Tribulation as recorded in Revelation chapter 6. Dave begins our study today with a challenge for us as believers to realize that Jesus is far more than a pain-killing Tylenol or an unlimited bank account. He is the ultimate king who calls us to absolute devotion. Let's join Dave when you swear in to one of the, either the Marines or the Navy or the Army, the Air Force or any one of the branches of service, when you swear in, I've never yet seen a commanding officer say to the troops, now I want you to know that we're going to try to make it as easy as we can on you, we're going to really work hard and in fact if there's a war we're just going to do everything possible to keep you out of it. You know, I've never yet had a commanding officer like a general swearing in new recruits ever approach new soldiers like that because a soldier knows by the very definition of the oath that they're taking that they are swearing that when it comes to defending their loved ones, their friends, their country, they're willing to put their life on the line. That's what we remember. That's what we honor. As a group of brothers and sisters in Christ, it's very important that we never forget that. But I want you to know that if you join the United States Marines, and if we've got to make an assault against and bring in an invasion force, if you're a United States Marine, you're probably going to be one of the very first ones that take that beachhead and have to hit that beach of the enemy. Just like a United States Marine, and they come after you and say, what we want is a few good men... The cause of Christ has that same high priority. In fact, it has the highest priority. You know, we've come through a period in the church where we almost present Jesus as being the greatest thing since Tylenol. Any pain that you have, come to Jesus. Take a couple Tylenols, take a couple Jesus and everything will be fine. In fact, I think sometimes when I think of the way Jesus was presented to my generation, he was often presented, man, you know, is the great physician, which is true. He's the great healer. Sometimes we're even told, man, he's the great bank account. Come to Jesus, and man, you're going to have pink Cadillacs even better than Mary Kay, and on and it goes. But you know, as I open the page of the New Testament, and interesting enough, as I've been speaking to young people over the last five or six years, I've noticed a big difference I believe that the Holy Spirit's moving to cause us to begin to really think not about things that will make us comfortable. Francis Schaeffer said that the hallmark of the next generation, and Dr. Schaeffer is now home with the Lord. But Dr. Schaeffer said that the hallmark of the next generation will be personal peace and affluence. They'll be willing to give up anything. They'll be willing to give up their freedom. They'll be willing to give up truth. They'll be willing to give up their devotion to God. They'll give up anything. Just give them peace and affluence. Just give them a comfortable home. Just give them enough money in the bank, and that's all that they want. But you know, I found it, I've been talking to young people the last few years. That's not all they want. And that's not what the call to Christian discipleship is. Salvation is totally free. Revelation is going to close. Whoever wants to come to drink of the water of life, please come freely. But once we invite Christ into our life, we have invited the Lord into our life. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. We have invited the truth into our life. We have invited the eternal God into our life. And early believers understood that. And I believe that you're beginning to understand that. And we open up to Revelation chapter 6. We are exposed to what the Lord Jesus talked about when he said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. A soldier does not say they was commanding officer. Well, I had other plans for today. When Harry Baalbeck, a United States Marines, one of my close friends in World War II, was commanded to, to hit the beaches of the South Pacific. As he was sitting on the destroyer the night before they attacked, and as he was praying and beseeching God to save his life, he didn't get up before the crack of dawn about 4.30 in the morning as his fellow Marines gathered together in those launchers. And Harry actually has told me what it would felt like to sit in one of those landing craft with your steel helmet up against the edge, knowing that all the guys sitting around you were going to be mowed down and you might be one of them. But Harry never told me. He said, I'm sorry, I'm out of here. I had other plans for today. Jesus said, let him who will follow me, let him take up his cross and follow me. Believers have been doing that through the centuries. And I want to challenge you. If you want to enter into the joy of your Lord, if you want to enter into what it really means to be close to him, then what you need to do is to begin this pathway of discipleship where you're going to stand against earth dwellers. You're going to stand against the idea of those that just live for now. And they do things that are radically opposed to your Savior. Now, right now we live in an age of grace. And even during the tribulation period, the Lord Jesus will be offering the gift of life. In fact, I believe that as we're going through the book of Revelation, we're discovering that there are millions upon millions of people that respond to what you've responded to during this age of grace, during the tribulation, that final seven years, the whole world is going to be divided between those that accept the cross and those that believe in the resurrection like you do, and those that worship Jesus, those that will join in congregations just like ours that have been generated after the rapture through the mighty instrumentation, the proclamation of the gospel of Christ. There will be new groups of believers raised up, and God will begin to powerfully work in the Jewish people again. But as we open up to Revelation chapter 6, we find out that that the cost is going to be incredibly great. As we began the tribulation period in Revelation chapter 6, we saw the rider on the white horse go forth. And we discussed together how this is an imposter of a rider and a white horse. He's Satan's counterfeit of the rider in Revelation 19 that will culminate this book. Because this rider rides forth not to bring forgiveness, not to bring eternal life, not to bring the deliverance from the evil one. Instead, this one rides forth to conquer people and to gain control over planet Earth. Whenever man seeks to take control over planet Earth, what results? War results from that. So the second horse rides forth, this fiery red horse of war. What does war bring? We've seen it down through history. The tribulation period will only be the culmination of the patterns we've seen down through history. The black horse goes forth, and we have a fourth of the world's population that are destroyed by the plagues that break forth because of this famine. Then we have the pale, greenish horse, the corpse of death in Hades. We have these terrible four horsemen that ride forth. Now what the writer John does is as he sees the Lord Jesus opening up the fifth seal, he enables us to see another picture of what's going to be taking place during the tribulation period. You can almost think of of these seven seals as giving you an overview, kind of a sketch, and that sketch is going to be filled in with the details as we move on into the book. For example, we have the the white horseman that rides forth. In Revelation 13, John's going to tell us a whole lot more about that white horseman. And that's what I'm speaking of as you can almost look upon these seven seals as kind of an overview of the seven years of tribulation period. And we also get the feel that there's a tremendous acceleration as we move towards the end and, and an increasing pulse beat in the judgments that are brought upon the earth. But as we look at the next seal that's opened up, It says in verse 9, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony that they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord? How long will you, the sovereign Lord who is holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and you avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and the brothers who were to be killed, as they had been, was completed. What's going on? The fifth seal is the seal of martyrdom. What it tells us is that during the tribulation period, there's going to be a mighty moving in the Spirit of God, and there's going to be many that stand against Antichrist. But many are going to pay with their own blood. And what we see in the fifth seal, though, is not the pictures of their slaughters. As we go through the book, we're going to hear about beheadings. We're going to hear about terrible persecution, which is going on against believers today. In the tribulation period, it's going to be accelerated. But I find it very comforting to see that we don't get the picture of the agony that took place here on earth. Instead, we capture a picture of them underneath the altar, which would be the altar of incense. In the heavenly court, we no longer need the altar of burnt offering... ...which was in front of the temple... ...where they offered the bulls and the sheep... ...for the forgiveness of sins and looking forward to the Messiah. There was that altar of burnt offering... ...where often in a full uh, burnt offering or sin offering... ...they would completely consume the animal on the altar. But there was another altar that was inside the holy place... ...it was where the priest could go. It was the altar of incense... I believe that this is the altar that we should think of because this is the altar where the, the incense was burned. And we've learned in the Revelation that the incense represents in the heavenly court the prayer of God's saints. As the prayers of His people on earth go up into heaven, they bring this beautiful aroma into the holy place before God. We learned something else that we have these martyred saints that are now safely in the holy place. They're safely in the presence of God. And we pick. it pictures them as being underneath the altar, which is the place of prayer. Another thing it reminds us of is that when they did offer a sacrifice, a slain sacrifice, the blood would be poured out at the bottom of the altar, at the base of the altar. And so definitely like Paul, these martyrs, in a way, their life has been poured out, not as a further sacrifice for sin, but as a demonstration to the evil one, a demonstration to the Antichrist that God has those just like Job of old who aren't in it just for pleasure, who aren't in it just for personal peace. They're in it because they're devoted to God. And they're like the three friends of Daniel that told Nebuchadnezzar, even if you slay us and even if our God doesn't come to deliver you, we want you to know that we will not bow to your image. We will not worship your image because we're going to worship the true God. Something inside of us responds to that. If you know Christ as your Savior, you're hungry to follow him to that ultimate sacrifice. And that's what it's describing. In the tribulation period, there are those that have been pushed right to the brink, and they have given their lives for Christ. Now, what happens when you give your life for Christ? Revelation pictures in this beautiful symbolic image. We have the souls. Now they're safely underneath the altar. But as they're at that altar of prayer, remember the altar of incense is the place that represents where our prayers are brought. These martyred saints of the tribulation period are praying and they, they pray a very interesting prayer. Notice what they pray. I want you to see that they, they, they call out how long sovereign Lord, holy and true. I want you to see those two things together. God's not only a loving God, but he's also a holy God, which means that he's not going to take sin lightly. Sin has to be dealt with. He's also true, which means he can be relied upon. Now, what are these martyrs upset about? They're saying, until you judge the inhabitants of earth and avenge our blood. What are they saying? That sounds like a really mean prayer, doesn't it? In fact, if we think of Stephen, when he was martyred in the early, in the birth of the church, in the early period in the book of Acts, what did Stephen pray? He prayed like Jesus. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them for what they're doing to me. Stephen prayed just like the Lord Jesus. Isn't that a prayer that we should pray? Yes. During the age of grace right now, we need to be praying for those that might persecute us, that might even take our life. We need to be praying that they'll come to the end of themselves. Some of you have, have experienced not martyrdom, but you've experienced the hurt of an unbeliever persecuting you because of your commitment to christ how should you respond to that you need to be praying lord i want to forgive others just as you've forgiven me and that's one side of god's grace but you say well dave what happens if they never never respond what happens if they never turn away from their life of commitment to the evil one, what happens if they just spend an entire lifetime continually doing evil, continually abusing God's people? What then? And that raises the issue of justice. Some of you have been raised in churches where you hear only about God's love. I want you to know that when you hear only about God's love, it leads to sentimentalism. It leads to a denial of what sin really is. It leads to wickedness that's rampant. And our society is very much like that because we have a God that's a nice, gentle grandfather that never does anything to anybody. But the book of Revelation tells us something, that both God the Father and God the Son, because it's passage will close with them saying, and from the wrath of the Lamb as well. So it's not just God the Father who's going to execute judgment, but he's going to execute judgment through God the Son. What is it saying? What it's saying is that if you spend a lifetime rejecting the good gift of forgiveness, if God offers you the gift of eternal life and you say no, if God says, you know, I want you to repent of your sins, I want you to turn away from your sins, I want you to ask forgiveness for what you've done, if you never break, then there's going to be justice. Every one of you that have had an injustice done to you, know what it means to cry out, someone should pay for this. Man, If, if I, I've used the illustration with you, like if out in the parking lot, if, you get a, if some of the young people get a brand new, marvelous, big Chevrolet pickup, and it's sitting out there, and before this service, they invited all their friends out there to see it, and then in the mix-up in between services, somebody just goes and rams the front of that in and just smashes it royally, Then that teenager is going to go out there, and the person that ruined their truck is going to say, Listen, I promise I'll never run into your truck again. And I promise that I'll drive faithfully from here on out. Well, I got news for you. That teenager that just got that brand new truck is going to say, Well, that's great. I hope your driving record from now is totally clean. And I hope that everything will be fine. But who's going to pay for my truck? Who's going to make it like new? Who's going to pay the bill on this thing? Do you have any insurance? That's the question of justice. And the Bible presents not only the love of God, but the justice of God. These martyred saints of the tribulation are saying, God, we were opposed by Antichrist. He is directly opposed to you. The inhabitants of the earth, this phrase that's used here for the inhabitants of the earth, does not just mean all human beings, you included. In the book of Revelation, the inhabitants of the earth are those that choose to live just for now. They're those that live for the Antichrist. Later on in the book, it says that they allow themselves to be sealed by the Antichrist. Just like you've been sealed by Jesus, these inhabitants of the earth, these earth dwellers, will choose to get the seal of the Antichrist. That's what they're living for. That's a devotion of their heart. And that causes them to be bloodthirsty against those that follow Christ. And there's this, this terrible, terrible violence that breaks forth against these believers. And they're martyred. Some of their little children are martyred. And as they're in heaven, they're saying, Lord, how much longer are you going to let this go on? And the Lord Jesus says something that's really weird. He says, I'm going to let it go on for just a little period until the number of those that end the story are going to be martyred. Now, that sounds like a really terrible thing. In other words, you mean to tell me that God knows exactly how much you'll be martyred? Why do you allow it to go on? It's part of the great mystery of God's story. But I want you to remember what I've often taught you. We always think of these questions in terms of it's like God sits here before it happens and then he, he looks at it happening and he, and he plans out all the details and all you're thinking about it is the way you would plan things. But just think about it that you have a God that can look at the total future he knows all about eternity, the ages and ages and ages to come. He knows every possibility that could ever happen. He knows all that's happening in the present, and he knows all that's happened in the past. Now, doesn't it make sense that a God that sits above time like that and looks down at it all happening, doesn't it make sense that he would, yes, he would know those in his story that were going to give their life for him? Don't you think he would know those that he's going to reward with the martyr's crown? Don't you think he would know those that it mentioned in this text are going to be given these white robes and told to rest? Sure he knows. Now, is that a bad thing? How many of you want God not to know what's going on? See, some of you have been taught, you know, the idea of the providence of God and God's, God's, sometimes we use the big word predestination, which is such loaded emotionally. But I want you to know that in the Bible, those words are not used as if God is some mean, vindictive being. His sister goes, I don't like that one. Chuck them to hell. That one there will take. It's not what God is doing. Instead, you have a God that knows all the past, present, and the future. Amen? Aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you glad that the book of Revelation says, But I know exactly how many, what time, And it's only going to go so long. That's the statement. How long, O Lord? In the tribulation, the martyred saints are going to say, Lord, how long? The Lord going to be able to look at his watch and say, well, we've got this much farther until the seven years is up and I'm coming. And what I want you to feel is the power of I'm coming. Jesus is coming. And I want you to know that Jesus will vindicate your cause of righteousness. Jesus will vindicate the injustice that's been done to you and been done to him. It's very important to understand that. I also want you to know here that it says that they will be clothed with a white robe. It says that, that a white robe will be given to them and they were told to wait a little bit longer until the number of their fellow servants and those who would be killed would be given. Uh, they would face that martyrdom. What the Lord Jesus is saying, that they can rest in the presence of God, in the holy place of heaven, because their work has been done. And the Lord is also assuring them, in fact, the rest of the book of Revelation is going to give us this tremendous insight into how their prayer is answered. As we're moving through this book, we're going to see the mighty, powerful, judging hand of God move upon these people. As we think about the martyred saints in the tribulation period, you know, it's easy to think of martyrs You know, in the tribulation period. That's something future. So I thought it would be good just to kind of pull up some headlines just not, not go back very far. This gruesome terrorist attack claims the lives of Christian family, one-month-old baby in Pakistan. On Wednesday, an alleged band of terrorists killed nine Christians, eight from the same family, in a city named Noshaha, which is situated in the northeast of the northwestern frontier of Pakistan. They were butchered with a sharp knife, and most of them had their throats cut. It was reported that the murderers later wrote on the wall with the blood of those slain Christians, no more black magic. The youngest member of the family was slain. He was only one month old. According to initial reports, the father of the slain family, Sabir John Bhatti, was involved in praying for the sick. Often Muslims as well as Christians would come to John and ask him to pray for their healing. This offended some of the extreme Muslim groups and some of the Christian community believed that the reason for the killing of the whole family was to attempt to threaten other Christians from being involved in that kind of Christian ministry. Missionary and two young sons killed in India. The Evangelical Fellowship of India reported that an Australian missionary and his two young sons were killed in India by members of a militant Hindu group. Mr. Graham Stewart Staines, a 58-year-old Australian missionary, and his two sons, Philip Ten. And Timothy, age eight, were asleep inside their vehicle when it was doused with gasoline and set ablaze. Mr. St. and his wife and family have been faithfully serving as missionaries with the Evangelical Missionary Society for more than 30 years. They worked mostly among lepers. The government reports that 49 people have been arrested in connection with these killings. Christians threatened. Still another Pakistani Christian was accused of breaking the country's discriminatory blasphemy laws in early June. Those laws prohibit a believer from sharing their faith. Maldives crackdown and extensive crackdowns on Christians and Christian workers began in mid-June in the Maldives, a chain of 100 small islands off the coast of India. All known Maldivian Christians and those suspected of holding Christian beliefs have been uh, imprisoned on a small island near the capital. They are kept isolated from other prisoners and have been denied visits even from their spouses and loved ones. Christians brace for more. Vietnam, 6.5 million Roman Catholics, and 600,000 Protestants are bracing themselves for more government interference as a new directive was released by the Politburo of the ruling Communist Party, warning that some religious followers and leaders in some places have not yet complied with the law. What I want us to realize is that the Lord Jesus said that these would be the beginning of birth pangs. And I think that we're beginning to see those birth pangs. And so we open up to Revelation chapter 6. We read about what's been happening to our brothers and sisters around the world. Isn't it great to know that we see not just an Australian and his two boys burned, but we see them underneath the throne. And now they're clothed in white, and they're saying, How long, Lord, we allow this to go on? Isn't it great to know that now they're in the throne room. They're clothed in white based upon revelation. And they're praying, Lord, how much longer? You know, the Lord is saying, how much longer there's still time for the gospel of grace to go forth. You see, during the tribulation, the gospel of grace is going to go forth. But during this time of the period of grace, how important it is for us to state our total allegiance to Jesus and declare the message of grace. It's time to be like soldiers. It's time to be like soldiers. And think of our commitment to Jesus as an oath of allegiance to him. You know, I remember years ago, years ago, Dr. Harold Reimer, that directs Word of Life down in Brazil, told me he met a communist. In fact, he met him in jail. And as Harold was talking to him, he said, uh, the communist said, You know, Harold, I would receive received your message if you Christians believed half as much as Jesus as my communist friends believe in communism. And Harold said, what do you mean by that? He said, well, I was out in the street just a few days ago, and as I I was begging on the street, because I didn't have any money, some people gave me money. You know what I did with that money? (coughs) He said, I took that money, and I gave it to the cause of communism. He said, none of you believers would do that. You just use it for yourself. He said, in fact, I've studied the good news of Jesus. In fact, I think it's the greatest news imaginable. In fact, I studied it carefully before I decided to choose to become a communist. I studied and read the gospel about Jesus dying on the cross for your sins, about Jesus rising again, about Jesus offering you eternal life. I just decided it was just too good to be true because I didn't see anybody that really appreciated its value. And when I met my communist buddies, I saw men and women that had commitment. And so I've given my life for the cause of kindness. Isn't that sad? Well, I think that you as a congregation, I think the young people, I think you as adults are ready to say, we're going to be that family of believers that go all the way with Jesus, that live for him in the marketplace, that are willing, if it costs us our life, we're going to go all the way. And just like these young teenagers in Colorado, and just like what's happening around the world, I think the Holy Spirit... It's shaking believers to realize that in these last days, this is about ultimate commitments. Who can stand? This passage closes with who can stand. We'll look at that the next time. But I want to raise the issue. Who can stand? You can. We can all stand in the blood of the crucified risen lamb. Praise God. We'll stand forever. Father, I just want to thank you so much that when I used to read these reports of martyrs, it would just scare me to death. Lord, talking about believers that have been martyred for you can be a real downer. And it can put great dread into our heart. We know, Lord, that you understand that. Before you faced the cross, you cried great tears of blood. You were so concerned and so emotionally exercised about what was going to happen. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, that even as we pray to you, that you know our weakness and you know our fear. But we're thankful that just like you we're able to bear a faithful witness before Pilate, we thank you that you're going to help us to bear a faithful witness to our friends this week. We're not even faced with death. We're not even faced, usually all that we're faced with is maybe a joke every once in a while or maybe the loss of a friend or something like that. But most of us aren't going to face at all the threat of our life. But I want to pray, Lord, that you would help us not to be embarrassed Christians. I want to ask you, Lord, that you would help us to be not vindictive Christians or angry Christians. But I want to pray that we will be bold Christians that are not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Because we recognize that it's still the power of God unto salvation. And all those who stand in the gospel will be able to stand before you forever and ever. I'd ask you, Lord, that you would use Revelation 6 to help us to recommit ourselves, just like these brothers and sisters that were willing to give their lives. Help us to be reminded that we need to take that ultimate oath of allegiance to Jesus Christ in his name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.